Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 288 of the Ask the Coach show, where ping skills help you improve your table tennis. Today's show focuses on an important building block of table tennis, and that is using match drills in your training. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. And good morning, Jeffrey. Good How morning. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm really good, Alois. Um, yeah. I, um, I nearly forgot we had this show on, but luckily um, you reminded <laughs> me. So we're here, and we're ready to belt out the show, and it's going to be a good one. Excellent. Actually, um, someone someone asked on uh, one of the questions. Um, you know, what do we what do we do with the rest of our lives, and what are our other interests? And Jeff's Jeff's just gone back to studying, so he's pretty preoccupied um, at the moment. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll forgive him. I'm trying to study some maths and some you know about calculus and differential equations, and you know, it's pretty hard when you haven't studied for a long time. Numbers, numbers, Jeff, numbers. <laughs> numbers, indeed, yes. Well, um, Alois, the popular segment of the show on this day, what do you have for us? Yes, well, a couple of birthdays um, of a couple of our top female players in the world. So uh, Kim song E had uh, her birthday on the 10th of August. Um, so uh, Kim song E actually uh, won a, the bronze medal in the women's singles at uh, the Rio Olympics. But along the way, she beat uh, Yu Meng Yu, who has her birthday on the 18th of August and coming up shortly. So, uh, so Yu Meng Yu uh, did well to reach the quarterfinals uh, where she lost to Kim Song-E. So two of our birthday girls uh, this week... Um, played off in the quarterfinals of the Rio Olympics. Wow, that tied in very nicely, didn't it? Of course, yes. (laughs) That's why we love this segment, Jeff. Indeed. All right. Well, um, it's time for Joke of the Week, which maybe I should have got away first. But anyway, Alois (laughs) and listeners, what did the fish say when he swam into the wall? I don't know. What did the fish say when he swam into the wall, Jeffrey? Damn! Because <laughs> it was a dam, you know. Yeah, 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 don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't start explaining your jokes, Jeff. <laughs> you know, you're gone when you start explaining your jokes. Oh dear. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you know. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move on, Alloys, to the tip of the week. Let's get stuck into some table tennis information for our listeners. What yes. is the tip of the week? Sure. So we've um, we've been following the building blocks uh, of table tennis, and and this week's building block and the tip for this week is to move on to match drills. So what are match drills? Firstly, so match drills are basically drills where you're incorporating um, a part of a game type situation. They usually will start with a serve. So you'd start with a proper serve and return of serve, and then move into some. Um, other part of the skill that you are wanting to improve. I think the tip of the week for this week uh, regarding the match drills is to move into your match drills sooner rather than later. So uh, you don't need to be doing too many forehands and backhands before you, I want you to test your your match, sorry, your your forehands or your backhands or whatever you're practicing more in a match situation. Um, So, for example, if you were practicing your um, your forehand flick, so rather than doing it just off multi ball or you know getting someone to just push to you, 
put it into a match situation. So when do you use your flick? You often use it on the return of serve or if you serve and the receiver pushes the ball back short. So let's now incorporate that match drill um, into um, into what you're doing. Uh, so rather than just practicing the flick, move it into the match drill quicker. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because, I mean, that... I mean, I guess that's why they call them match drills, but that's exactly what's going to happen in a match. So it's it's more realistic to a match scenario. Yeah, that's right. And um, and I guess with that, Jeff, we probably move into the drill of the week because our drill of the week, uh, you know, just and and this is just one specific drill that you can use as a match drill, and it's just a, a third ball um, a third ball drill. Um, and let's see how we can start to expand the third ball drill. So, so often we practice a third ball drill, and the drill um, of the week this week is we're going to serve, the receiver's going to push the ball long to my forehand, and I'm going to make a forehand topspin. So with the, with the drill of the week this week, what I want you to do is, is to expand that again pretty quickly. So, so let's see if you can do some forehand third balls, um, Get your partner to push the ball to your forehand for a minute or two. When you feel comfortable, then I want you to start to get your partner to push the ball mainly to your forehand, but sometimes to your back end, you know, using our 80-20 uh, rule, 80% to the forehand, 20% to the back end. And then you can just start to move on and um, work through drills so that um, you, you're getting it more and more like a match situation. So the drill of the week this week is a forehand third ball drill, but expanding it really quickly to make it more and more like a match. Awesome. Sounds good. So, yeah, ping skillers, get out there on the table this week and give this one a go. Yeah, serve a short backspin serve, get your opponent to push it to your forehand, make that top spin, and then, as Aloy said, get them to uh, sometimes push to your backhand. Sounds good. And uh, I think... If you've never tried this sort of match drills before, I think you'll really enjoy them, and I guess you'll see quickly how it will benefit your game. Excellent. Um, now, Alois, time for the tournament wrap. Uh, what's been happening in the world of the ITTF? Yeah, so it's been fairly slow, but we do have the Bulgarian Open starting today with the qualifying um, events. Um, so qualifying is today and tomorrow, and then the main draw starts on the 17th to the 20th. So um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I like these um, lower-level um, open events because it, it does open it up to a lot of, uh, lot of the next tier of players. Um, having said that, in the men's singles, um, the top seed is, uh, is Ovcharov um, and uh, second seed is Kenta. Matsudaira. So, yeah, fairly high, but, you know, it's in that next level and including one of our favourites from Belgium, Cedric Noitink. Cedric so, uh, Noitink. Very good uh, pronunciation, no, Alice. No, no, Jeff, it's Noitink. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> no, no, don't leave it to me because I'm getting that completely wrong too. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Cedric will be playing. Players like uh, Drinkhall. But the other... Um, exciting part i think is just the number of the indian players that are now starting to hit the the world tour um circuit and here is no exception uh we've got sumyajit uh josh um and uh and a few other of the indian 
players um, entered, and and it's and it reminds me a little bit of the um, you know the Japanese uh, players from you know, five, six years ago when they first started to send a whole lot of players to these pro tour events. And we, we know what's happening now with the, um, with the Japanese, uh, players, you know, there's, there's so many strong players now on the world scene and they're, and, you know, if anyone, they are probably the, the team that can start to close the gap on China. But, um, but yeah, so for, for India, um, it's you know really good to see you know um, Satyan uh, Nanasekaran who we saw here in Australia recently um, had some good results. Um, Sunil Shetty, um, yeah, Amal Raj Anthony, yeah, there's a whole whole host of uh, Indian players um, entered over there. So um, yeah, be, be interesting to see. There you go. You heard it first from Alloys. The uh, the Indian national team is on the rise. Absolutely, no, they are. Yeah. They are. They are. They are the movers. And uh, let's see. In five years' time, we'll listen back to this show, and uh, we'll say, "Alois, you were way off the mark," <laughs> or, "Or, gee, you were brilliant." Yeah, it is interesting, <laughs> though. Yeah, do you? I mean, you think there's a big correlation to players sending their or to to associations, national associations, sending their players on the ITTF, and then an increase in their results? I, I think. You know, I, I mean, yeah. It, what what's the cause and effect? Um, you know, maybe they they do have a bigger base of players. They're they're producing more players that are now ready to go to um, world tour events. Um, but I think you know also then giving them that experience on the world tour definitely helps these players to to lift their level as well. Yeah, and it certainly shows a level of commitment to to keep sending your players on these tournaments. So yeah, good good signs. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Let's get on to the question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The one one other interesting point for me, you know, being the a para, national para coach. Oh yes. Yeah, is to see Victor Diduk, um, who's a class eight uh, player, number one in the world in the class eights. So class um, eight again is. Yeah. So it's a standing class. Yep. Um, so the highest uh, functioning standing class is class ten, but uh, he's a class eight, but he's probably one of the top players in the world um even even if you take into account the class 10s but he's playing at the um at the Bulgarian Open and I see him in the uh, in the qualifying draw there so it'll be it'll be good to see how uh, how Victor Didak does in this tournament for me ah, very cool well good luck Victor all right now alloys then let's move on to the questions Absolutely, let's do it. All right, sounds good. And first up is a question from Azar, who says, Hey, Alois, I have a match today and I use long pimples and I'm an attacking chopper and I would like to know the approach I should take during the pre-match backhand warm-up. So um, what do competitive players do? Do they use their long pimples? Um, He goes, I don't want to counter with my long pimples as I'm not good at it. And... So he's wondering, what should he do? Should he just turn around and counter hit with his normal rubber? What's what's the situation here? Yeah, so um, so at the top level, the the top players would never use their long pimples in the warm up. Um, so you know they'd warm up on the forehand with their normal rubber. When it comes to um, op- uh, to practicing on the backhand side for your opponent, um, either you uh, twiddle it over and and use the normal rubber on your backhand, or you turn around and use your forehand. Uh, from the backhand corner. 
So that's um, that's a couple of options, and that's just what um, everyone does because, I mean, one, you don't want to um, let your opponent get used to the long pimples, and two, it's, yeah, the, the, your opponent actually wants to just hit some hit some balls, um, you know, and just get warmed up as well. So if you're if you're playing with a long pimple, it might uh, might you know, upset their rhythm too. So yeah, um, usually just use the use the rubber all the time during the warm up, and then uh, hit them with the long pimples when you get into love all in the first game. So who do you think that is an advantage to? Like, because um, if you've got long pimples and you're not using them during the warm up, your opponent obviously doesn't get to. Um, hit against them and get used to them, but you also haven't really warmed up using your long pimples either. Yeah, but I think, um, you know, you're used to the long pimples. It's That warm-up isn't really to to get better at your pimples or, or anything. You know, um, it's just to get used to the conditions. Um, and I think if you if you use the long pimples, or sorry, you don't need to use the long pimples um, in the warm-up to be able to play well with them um, at level True. Yeah. Oh, well, interesting question. Uh, good one, Azar. All right. Now, Omar wants to know, how long does it take to become a pro? What a question. He's from the Netherlands and he's played since 2015, joined a club in 2016, and he's been doing really well in competition. So how much time does someone need, Alois, to become a pro or an international player? Yeah, good question, Omar, because, um, yeah, who really knows? But, but. We we do know that it takes a, a quite a while. It, I mean, you you just can't do it in a year or two years. Um, our sport is too technical um, to be able to uh, get all of those skills in a bag in one or two years. You really need. I mean, the 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 classic uh, saying is ten thousand hours or ten years. Um, you know, surely you, you can do it quicker. You know, sometimes it takes longer. Um, depends on the quality of your training. It depends on um, the quality of the opposition that you're playing against, and you know just how quickly you personally pick things up. So, um, so Omar, you know, as a guide, ten years. But I think the important thing is to to understand that you know it's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, that you just need to keep working hard over time to um, to to reach a really high level to be to become a pro player. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love these questions, Alois. Um, you know, look at uh, Harry Moto from Japan, um, how quickly he's become good, although some would say he's been playing since he was very young. But, you know, the yeah, it's... it's I'm not sure. Would he have put in 10,000 hours yet? I reckon he probably would have. Um, you know, he's he, he, both his parents are, um, are table tennis players, um, and so he would have been exposed to table tennis from a very young age um, and probably hitting balls from a very young age as well. So, um, you know, maybe maybe he's already done his 10 years um, and, and hence, the, um, hence the, the level that he's at. But, um, I mean, I, I think he's exceptional anyway. But yeah. um, I think, um, you know, I mean, 10 years is a guide, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. you know, some, some people will be better and some people slower. So, yeah. Exactly. And I think... Yeah, some of these books like Outliers and The Talent Code kind of make it like anyone that puts in the 10,000 hours can become world class. And I guess I guess the question is, what is world class? 
Um, does that mean you're the very best or does that mean you know you're top 100 or top 200? What do people consider world class? And I guess that makes a big difference to the outcome. Um, yes, that, that, that's right. Um, I, th- I think the other really important point here um, is, you know, one that um, chap Richard Lee from New Zealand once made to you in an interview, Jeff, mm. um, when he said, you know, some play- or l- too many players give up too early. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we see so, so many times, you know, players are improving, you know, they might have a, a setback or something else happens and they might just be on the verge of, um, of you know, making a breakthrough. But you've got to be able to ride the bumps um, in, um, in sport, in life. So the, the, the path of um, progress isn't linear. There's always, you know, ups and downs, but as long as overall, in the end, your 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 track looks um, on an upward upward motion, you know, like the stock market, um, then then that's okay. But yeah, I think too often, you know, players will have a have a really um, good period where they improve quickly, then their improvement slows down, or you might even get a little bit worse for you know a month or two or whatever it is. Um, and then you know players give up. So it's just about persevering, spending time, um, and you know just just really putting in over over a longer period of time. I think is the really important thing. Well said. Well said. All right. Well, I think we should move on to the next question then. Thanks for that one, Omar, and good luck with your development. So next up is a question from Timo, who says, "Hi guys, I have a new problem." I can finally do a topspin against a backspin ball, but when I make that shot and the opponent blocks it back, I'm not able to make the next topspin because I'm too late. And he goes, this is especially happening when I use the forehand to my opponent's forehand. So do you have any tips for Timo? Yeah, so a couple of things there, Timo. So firstly, think about your stroke. Um, And often I, I see when players... Um, are finding trouble with that fifth ball is because they're throwing themselves off balance with the third ball. So they'll serve, they'll make that next top spin, but they'll try too hard or they'll, um, you know, really uh, throw their throw their balance out with their stroke. So focus firstly on the balance of your third ball, making sure that you're staying stable, staying nice and low, um, allowing your shoulder to relax so that the arm moves through and doesn't throw your body everywhere. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing then is to also think about your placement of that ball. So here you're talking about um, when you're hitting it to the other person's forehand, you know, they they hit it back to you fast. So you're, you're finding that a problem. In that situation, you need to find a better place to make that topspin. Even if your topspin isn't as fast... If you place it better, maybe you'll get a weaker return on that fifth ball and you'll be able to cope with the speed um, of that next ball as well. Yeah, great tips. And I think, Timo, one thing you can do, especially when you're looking at this balance, um, the balance of your third ball, is just take a video of yourself, especially if you've got a mobile phone these days. It doesn't have to be fancy, but just take a video just so you can actually look back and see how well you are balanced and... And it might just highlight a few things that you can do better. Yep. Great advice, Jeffrey. Excellent. And, I, yeah, I just think in general these days, we've, you've, it's so easy to take video. Um, it's just a, 
underutilised skill. So, um, yeah, give it a go. And good luck, Timo, with that fifth ball. Hopefully those tips from Alloys help you out. All right, next question is from Rajiv, who wants to know about um, the toss in doubles. He goes, in a doubles match after the toss, who will choose the combination and who will choose the side and who will serve? What are the rules? Yeah, so the, um, the, the, the rule can be a little bit confusing about the toss in general. So, so firstly, um, if you win the toss, so this is at the start of a match, you know, um, either you toss a coin or you decide um, uh, who gets the choice. Your first choice is either you can serve or receive, so that's one choice, or you can choose which end um, that you want to play from in the first game. Okay, so you, you can only choose, you decide whether you want to choose the end or you want to decide whether you're going to receive or serve. That's right, exactly. Got it. So then if you decide um, the, who's going to serve first, you can decide that you want your opponent to serve first, so you want to receive first. So if you decide that, then your opponent then has the choice of ends. So if you have decided to receive, that's a choice that you've made. That's your choice. Now your opponent gets the choice of ends. Okay. And the same if you decide to serve, your opponent still gets to decide the end. Correct. That's right. Yes. Okay. So then in doubles, there's one more um, factor involved. So if you are uh, serving first... You then decide who is which of your pair is going to serve. So if Jeff and I are playing doubles together, um, we'll decide who's going to serve first. So Jeff's going to serve first, probably because I'm a better server. Yeah, uh, that's not what I was thinking, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all right, Jeff, you can serve first, um, and then your opponents can decide who is going to return from Jeff. So often what happens is that in a doubles match, um, the, the, the team that wins the toss will decide to receive because when you receive, you can set the order of who's going to um, serve and return and, and who you're going to take the, the shots from in the first game and then in the subsequent games as well. Interesting, yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. It's a little bit complex, isn't it? It I is a little bit complex, but but to simplify it, I think you've done a good job there. If you want to decide the order of who's going to serve and receive in the first game, you need to win the toss and choose to receive. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Good. And then, uh, yeah. Excellent. So then, is that the now, choice? Uh, as yeah. a coach, and uh, as doubles tactics... Do you think it's important to decide who's going to receive in the first match? Because theoretically it should even out because um, the next set you have to switch the order of who's receiving and then if it's a deciding set, once it gets to five, you you switch. So it should even out. Do you think it's a big decision? Yeah, I think um, it depends uh, tactically what you want to do. If you're keen to uh, try to win the first game and put your opponents under that pressure then, um, you know, then you choose your better combination or what you perceive your better combination is, you know. Maybe um, maybe uh, Jeff doesn't um, play well against long pimples. So um, in the first game, we'll decide that Jeff um, 
is going to return from the player that has normal rubber rather than the player that has pimples, for example. Yeah, um, okay. And so, so I guess I guess yeah. people are always keen to win the first game and stuff, so it probably is a, is a good yeah. decision then to often yeah, receive I, first. Yeah, although I, I don't. I, I, for me... The deciding game is 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 interesting because if you think about when you re, when you change ends, if you change ends and change combinations when the first team gets to five, you're actually playing a smaller amount of the game with that first combination. Slightly um, smaller, potentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, potentially, you well, I mean, the the most number of points you can play is nine with that first combination. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, potentially you can play a lot more with the second combination, or the second combination, um, or you know, a lot more than the first. So yeah, you, but then your, oh, yeah, sorry. And do you want your strong combination at the end um, when uh, you know when it's nine all or ten all, or you know, do you want to get a good start in the fifth game and you know? try and be 5-1 up and, and then close it out, you know. So it, yeah, it's just a little bit, yeah. That's the counter-argument, isn't it? If you win the first set, you might put pressure on them and you might end up, you know, winning the game without it even going to a final set because you've built up the pressure and they haven't handled it well. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so no clear-cut answer then. <laughs> no, it's it, it's definitely not clear-cut. But, you know, I think um, you need to think about it before a match and think about um, what you... Uh, perceived to be, um, you know, what uh, the best thing to do for y- y- your um, team um, in that uh, doubles. Excellent. All right, well, let's finish off with a light-hearted question, Alois, from Eugene, who says, this is quite a silly question. I see other players that are able to hold up to eight balls in one hand comfortably, but the maximum I can do is five, and I can squeeze in maybe one very uncomfortably. So are there any secrets to holding more than five balls in one hand? Uh, yes, there are. There definitely is, Eugene. You need to choose your parents well and, <laughs> uh, and make sure that they have very large hands. Um, yeah, I, I think... I think um, I'm, I'm surprised at eight balls. That's, that's a lot to be able to hold in your hand. Like, I, I reckon I can only do about four or five comfortably. Yeah. Is that an yeah. old Confucius saying? Large hands means you can hold many balls. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> yes, I remember Confucius saying that. <laughs> he was talking specifically about table tennis at the time. Yes, yes, uh, of course. Well, it is a to... lot. I don't think I could. I'm not sure bah. how many can you hold comfortably in one hand. No, nah, four or five max. Yeah, four or five. yeah. So, yeah. Let it, let us know. Let us know how many you can hold. And and like, are we talking about holding them so that you're grabbing them and you can turn your hand over, or you're talking about putting putting your hand out like a tray and just um, balancing them on there, you know, almost like a pyramid tower or something? Yeah, good question. But, it sounds like he's talking about just holding them so you can kind of play a, a rally while holding these oh, balls in the no, other hand. No way, eight. Eight? <laughs> you serious, right. Eugene? Yeah. I, well, if you're I, out there and you yeah. can hold more than that, take a photo and uh, send it to us. Put it on yeah. our Facebook page or send us an email. Oh, we want to see t- how many balls you can hold in one hand. Yeah, Eugene, I want to see these eight balls you hold. And and are they are they the like the forty mil balls or you know? Like, <laughs> are we are we talking about marbles? Exactly. 
very good. Well, interesting question, Eugene. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. And yeah, and what a know, people. Yeah, and what a great way to wrap up the show with it with a interesting, funny question. So uh, that. Uh, that is a wrap. Thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you check out pingskills.com and we will see you soon. Thank you, Alloys. And thank you, Jeffrey. And get back to your calculus, Jeffrey. I will, yes. Oh, those differential equations. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have problems with them too. <laughs> All right. See you next time, people. Bye.